0: Me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Suck Attack. The number one award-seeking comedy podcast about comedy. Podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast podcaster, Mark Hershaw.
1: Yeah, it's me, Mark Hirsch, on your host, N-H-O scale Lionel Train, for Epi 134 of Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast. This is an installment of Suckatash Chats, with almost 100% yakety-yak and almost 0% clippity-clips. Our special guest this episode, none other than our very own raging moderate political comedian and social commentator, Will Durst. Yes! Unbelievable. After his priceless contributions for the past four years, with our Burst of Durst segment, I finally managed to wrangle the great man himself to a sit down.
2: No, 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 there's still, I'm still using lines that I used in '92. There was a big fight between Carlos Mencia and George uh. Lopez over who originated the, how does he plan on building a wall? Uh, without using Mexican labor. And I wrote that joke in 1992 wow. about Pat Buchanan <laughs> My God. And when,
1: when he was God. going to the Republican convention in San Diego. It really shouldn't have been that hard to get together with him. We live in the same goddamn city, and we've both been appearing periodically together on the same stage the past few years during screenings of the Three Still Standing documentary. That's the one about the early days of San Francisco stand-up comedy starting back in the early 1980 boom times, featuring Will, Larry Bubbles Brown, and Johnny Steele. Anyway, it's a good time to get Will in front of the mic. Every four years we have the presidential election, and Durst blooms like one of those crocus plants. Except his comedy is being uh, liberally, or rather conservatively, fertilized by Donald Trump's bullshit. So he is in rare form 2016. I just got back from L.A. this past weekend, where I was hosting the kickoff episode of the Carvey Podcast, a new show featuring Dana Carvey and his two sons, Dex and Tom. Their roommate, Ricky, was also aboard for this inaugural event, and veteran comedian Barry Sobel jumped in for the last few minutes as well. Things got a little dicey about a half hour into the proceedings. I really shouldn't laugh. Dana and I kicked things off, and it was really funny. The audience, which wasn't huge, maybe 20 people in the um, improv lab, was enjoying it. And why not? A lot of them were friends of mine, my old friends Bert Wheeler and Sharon Sussman, Tony Romain and Phil Lairness from the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, and Lily Holloman, who'd been in our live succotash episode at the lab a few months ago. Anyway, Dana had gotten up to make room for his boys at the table on stage. He was moving around the other side of the stand-up piano that was at the side of the stage and abruptly disappeared, followed by a crash. Turns out the stage just plain ran out, and there was just darkness, leaving Dana to take a header into some empty cocktail tables and the floor. Um, I almost made the exact same mistake going over to see what the hell happened, uh, because you just couldn't see back there. It was totally dark. So there were a few moments of what the hell just happened, followed by Dex and Tom looking at me like, Well, what are we supposed to do now? Our dad just fell off the stage. Well, Dana got up, walked it off, while the rest of us kind of stumbled forward with the show. The stunned audience was sort of wondering if maybe it was all part of things, but uh, Dana came back on stage after a little while, a bit banged up, a little bit woozy, but game to go, and we finished just shy of an hour and a half long. I'm told the episode will make its podcast land eventually, pending Dana's agreement with an as-of-yet-undeclared podcast network, and uh, it was... Uh, regardless of the accident, it was a very fun and uh, interesting, interesting uh, evening. I've been using a brand new app, by the way, that just launched last week in my effort to make listening to comedy podcast episodes easier and easier. It's called laughable and I'm finding it to be pretty damn handy. You know, I try them all when they come down and a lot of them are, you know, they do different things and some of them are easy. Some of them make it more difficult. The iTunes one is God awful. Um, I'll talk about this more in our next Succotash Clips episode, because we don't really have clips this episode, uh, but it really makes finding those clips easier. It makes listening to podcasts easier, this this app called Laughable. Um, it's easier to find. They're easier to download. They're easier to just kind of go through and see what you've missed and see what you haven't. Um, the guy who put it together is named uh, Ned Kenny, and uh, I'm supposed to have an interview with him that I'll put up. Uh, along with the Succotash Clips episode next time, uh, if we can pull that together. Uh, there's a good chance I'm going to be helping them out a little bit in terms of curating some material, trying to recommend episodes, stuff like that. So check it out if you get a chance. I've just started using it, and I'm finding it quite uh, quite easy and actually kind of fun. There's also a lot of profiles. There's like a 1,000 profiles on comedians and podcasters or comedians that have podcasts or just podcasters. I think you'll even find one of me up there if you look around. All right, let's get to it. And by it, I mean Durst. And by Durst, I mean Will Durst. This is really his episode, because in addition to our interview, we've got a double dose of our Burst of Durst segments. So let's let's listen to one now and one later after the Tweet Sack segment.
2: Hey, guys. Will Durst here, wondering why it is that you're all so angry. And if you're not, you are definitely one of the special few. Everybody else in this country is so darn angry, it's a shock that our foreheads are constantly moist from the little flecks of spittle flying out of everybody's mouths whenever they speak. The electorate is angry, politicians are angry, women are angry, men are angry because that's what men do, but they're also angry because women are angry. Blacks and whites and grays and greens are all angry. Even some birds are angry. A few folks are angry because they feel they've been forgotten. Some folks have been angry so long they've forgotten why they're angry. Some are angry about everybody else being angry. Others are angry because they think not everybody is. Although deep down, they are. Donald Trump is angry. Bernie Sanders is angry. John Kasich, not so much. Mitch McConnell is angry because that's his way. Hillary Clinton is angry because she actually has to work for the nomination. Jeb Bush is angry because he was a smart one. Ted Cruz's supporters are really, really angry, and he's not even running anymore, which makes them angrier. And regular people are angry for all sorts of reasons. Our manufacturing base has disappeared, rich people don't pay taxes, corporations cut hours and positions in order not to pay benefits... Our elected representatives promise pie in the sky, but we end up getting nothing but turd muffins. Turns out Tom Brady is a dick. Anger is the new black. It's almost like there's a competition to see who can be angriest. And we're all winning, which makes me really, really angry. For Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast, I'm Will Durst.
1: Okay, so that's how we have been listening to Durst here on Suckatash for the past four years. But right after this message from our sponsor, we will jump into my green room chat at the punchline in San Francisco with Will Durst himself. Take it away, Bill Haywatt.
0: Friends, summer is just around the corner, so you might be thinking to yourself, gosh, it's time to get out the suntan lotion, rubber thongs, and good old Bermuda shorts. Stop right there, pilgrim. Did you know that every time you slip on a pair of their shorts, the British Protectorate of Bermuda receives a two-cent royalty... That's right, which is why Henderson's Pants, a loyal and legal corporate entity of these United States since 1896, is introducing their Wake Island abbreviated trousers roomy and comfortable like the Bermuda shorts you've come to love, but with the freedom that comes from knowing you won't be helping out the subjects of our former British oppressors. The stylish Wake Island abbreviated trousers are named for the unincorporated tiny landmass in the North Pacific, which is a legal U.S. protectorate. Now, when those hot, sticky days of summer hit, slip on a pair of Henderson's Wake Island abbreviated trousers and go for a stroll on the beach, around the pool, or through the mall. Feel free to wear briefs, boxers, or nothing at all under your new, snazzy, and 100% American abbreviated trousers. Because, as a U.S. citizen, you have the right to stow your junk any way you choose. Originally designed for the U.S. Department of Immigration, trout farmers, and dark, seedy theaters, that's Henderson's Wake Island abbreviated trousers. Available wherever things you put your legs into are sold. And now back to more of Suckatash. All right,
1: I am uh, in the green room of the Punchline Comedy Club in San Francisco, a club which I actually used to help book so many years ago. I don't want. No, discussing. we
2: don't even use those numbers no. anymore.
1: But I am with the uh, well. How do I describe? Well, on the show, I describe you as political comedian, social commentator, Wilder. Well, yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, he is, of course, the uh, founder of our Bursto Durst, which we feature each and every episode. Oh, cool. Sometimes two of them <laughs> if I get behind. <laughs> but he is headlining this week at the punchline in San Francisco, California.: Yes, not the one in Mexico. No. no. And well, this is the, it's unbelievable i've been doing succotash for five years. You and I've been contributing for four, for four of those years.
2: And this is the first time the two of us have sat down <laughs> and face to face. I know conversation. We've seen each other
1: many times in rooms. Yes,
2: yes, but yes. no, we've hugged, we yes. touched,
1: yes, yes, and we've known each other for. <laughs> we've
2: shared women named Deb.
1: Thirty years,
2: more than that. I
1: think it's. When more did than you
2: start at Fox Pro- Prods? Nineteen seventy
1: nine.
2: You started there in 79? I
1: did. I was the timer and scorekeeper for the comedy competition. Well, then
2: we knew each other in 1980. Yes. Because that was the first year that I entered the comedy competition.
1: So that is a long fucking time.
2: That's a (laughs) shit-ass long time. My God. That's 36 years. Isn't that unbelievable? In in September, it'll be 36 years. That's crazy. It's Yeah. The fact that we can throw numbers like that around (laughs) is incredible. (laughs) Although... Man, it does wrench your back.
1: It does. Yeah. It does. We were also both, uh, we both appeared in uh, the movie, which you we were one of the uh, the featured performers in, Three Still Standing, the documentary. Yeah,
2: that was about that very time at which we earlier spoke. And it was about the 80s and, and comedy and fame and moving to L.A. and, and tragedy <laughs> and not failure and not moving to L.A., yeah. yeah. But you did for a while. I did. Yeah.
1: I did. Off and on, I went back and forth, and uh, I managed to get a little bit of success in the writing business. Yes. You're still getting residuals. I still get residuals. Every Christmas. It's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. Um, But we're back in San Francisco, and we've been here for a long time.
2: I never got out.
1: No, you never out.
2: I did a, a couple of incidental forays. I was in New York for about five months. I was in LA for about five months. Twice. Yes. Doing plays. and uh, But I never wanted to be comic number 16 hanging out in the parking lot. Yeah. And, and Mitzi didn't like me. Cause he, oh, he's drinking a beer on
1: stage. Oh, man, really? Yeah,
2: and she was sitting with Roseanne Barr when I had to do my audition. And Roseanne was uh, capturing her attention for some reason during my audition. So I didn't do well.
1: Now, I, those days, were you a... Comedy store a comic or an improv?
2: Improv comic. comic.
1: Okay, the yeah. improvisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I hung out.
2: I'm Melrose. Yeah. When
1: I first moved down there, uh, I'd left here in 87, 88 and I lived six blocks from the improv. Oh I no kidding. There every night. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Because that's where the gigs happen. Yeah. Exactly. Where, where there are gigs. <laughs> yeah. Gigs, you know, beget gigs.
1: Yeah. The comedy store was like a weird black hole of comedy. Um, with weird stories. I talked to Blake Clark years ago about he, cause he started out as a, a security guy there and he had these weird stories about like ghosts and shit. I bet that were just amazing. It's like pre
2: comedy story. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause it was zeroes, right? Uh-huh. It was like zeroes on the strip place.
2: Yeah. And actually in 77 sunset strip, I think it's oh. in the opening credit sequence. Yes. Zeroes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. So let's start with what my listeners know is the Burst of Durst. As I said, you've been supplying it for four years for us. Cool. And uh, there's probably one in this episode. There might be two, depending when I get this up.
2: After the show, tonight, I have to go home and finish uh, tonight's. (laughs) Well, that'll be in this episode. So I can't drink after the show tonight. And I have uh, many friends who are coming, and some of them are world-class drinkers, and I'm going to have to put them off. I know, I I know,
1: I know. Yeah, because one thing my listeners don't know is that the Burstow Drist is not exclusive to Succotash.
2: What I do is, because I I need to write. Uh I need that enforced deadline. I need someone telling me it's due Monday morning, and then I'll start it after the Sullivan Show. Uh And only a few of you will catch that Uh after 60 minutes. So Uh uh, I need that. That uh, third party, I need people t- depending on me. So uh, every Friday morning, uh, hopefully Thursday night, I send out the commentary. And it's about 300 words, and it's about two minutes long. And it's me on a subject. And this week the subject is going to be uh, the everybody reluctantly jumping on board the Trump bandwagon, all the Republicans. So I write that, and then I, I record it. And then I customize the tags. Right. For instance, I put it on my website. So I say, for willdurst.com, I'm Will Durst. And then you, for Succotash, I'm Will Durst. Right. And then I customize the tags and I send them out. And then the next day, tomorrow, I would have to write the column. Right. And the column gets syndicated by a place called Kegel Cartoons. And it's not one of the big syndicators. It's a tiny. The guy used to be an editorial cartoonist, and they were the first to get sloughed off, as you know. When, of course, when uh, the hairy beast of journalism decided to shake its fleas off, and so <laughs> the so he was an so he he collated a bunch of editorial cartoonists and and created this syndicate, and and mostly middle papers, you know, between uh, ten and fifty thousand yeah. in circulation, not over fifty. Because they they go to Universal or Washington Post writers or near – you know, one of the big ones. Uh, So he gets – and they pay one fee. Wow. uh, And they can use any of the cartoons – on his site, daily, weekly, whatever. And then he started doing columnists. Oh, okay. And he had two columnists, me and a guy named Michael Reagan, son of some Ronald Reagan yeah, guy. Yeah, he
1: used to have a radio show. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was,
2: So he had a conservative. And now he's got like 10 or 12 columnists. Okay. And so that's... And I've been writing for him. I've been writing the column, the syndicated column, for 11 years this year. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. But that's 600 words. And sometimes... Uh, what works for an audio commentary does not work in print. Mm. Sometimes I can I can expand it in print because there are words that when spoken aloud uh, do are kind of muddy. Yeah. So I I can I can get more precise and mm. do alliteration and, and play with the words when I write yeah. and so that. But those two enforce it. But it keeps me writing, and I have and only I, not many. Not many lines in the, commenta- in the column actually end up on stage. Really? They're two totally different voices on stage for me because my style is kind of ingrained now. I'm yeah. not a storyteller. I tell jokes. Yeah. And every joke is the setup for the next joke.
1: Because years ago, I thought this was brilliant of what you did. This was back in the days of Just for Laughs, the comedy newspaper. Yeah, yeah. You would write a monthly column. Mm -hmm. I did the cartoons, and I wrote the puff piece profiles. Yeah, yeah. But I thought this was genius because you wanted a way to copyright your material. Because there there were comedy clubs across the country.
2: And they were all reading this newspaper. They were all
1: reading this newspaper. So you said... I can cop. I can't copyright what I say on stage, but I can copyright what I write in print. So you would write your act, your act, essentially uh, yeah. as your column every month, and it was kind of genius, really. I mean, I don't know if it ever no, no. came in no, handy.
2: No, no, <laughs> no. There's still I'm still using lines that I used in '92. There was a big fight between Carlos Mencia and George uh. Lopez over who originated, the, how does he plan on building a wall uh, <laughs> without using Mexican labor. And I wrote that joke in 1992 wow. about Pat Buchanan <laughs> oh my God. And when when Bad he was going to the Republican Convention in San Diego. So, I mean, yeah. And then there was a guy, and he's dead now, so I won't mention his name, but there was a guy who took <laughs> an entire column that I had written for just for laughs yeah. and went on, the the Carson show with it went on the Tonight Show. He did that as his act? Yeah, and he did the whole thing as his act. Unbelievable. And Tom Sawyer, bless his little heart, uh, heard the guy do the the bit at his club and said, "No, you can't do that." And and I've been doing it for months. So yeah, there's you know you got you know and and
1: the thing is then you just write new material. Sure. But it always struck me as a sort of an element that most comics wouldn't think of. They don't think of, how do I protect myself? And as you're saying, it didn't really help that much. No,
2: but I'm a writer. But
1: it was a way for you to keep generating material. Exactly. Right. I
2: need that deadline, yeah. yeah. And I'm a writer who performs. I'm not a natural-born comic. I mean, humor in my family was very important because I have a – developmentally disabled brother who, you know, we would sit around the, the dinner table and he couldn't offer up a lot of opinions. But <laughs> you could make Marky laugh. Uh-huh. And that was and so that was the currency at the dinner table making Marky laugh. And my dad was incredibly dry, uh very funny. And my mom was larger than life. My mom was a diva. Uh so uh there was various ways of keeping Marky and so humor was always integral.
1: And you grew up in the Milwaukee area. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how does somebody from Milwaukee, which doesn't have a real burgeoning comedy community, I would imagine, how do you go, this is what I want to do with my life? Always wanted to be a comic. Based, based on, on, my based entire on life. what? Based my on My entire what? life. What um, did you see or feel or experience that said... I want to do this. No idea. My mom says
2: that when I was six years old, I asked her where I could go to school to become a stand-up comedian. I wanted to do it. And I would uh, I would watch the comics on The Tonight Show sure. and, and Merv Griffin, which was more accessible because it was during the day, and then yeah. Mike Douglas used to have comics on. Sure. And I thought, it was so cool. It was so cool. And that was crystallized one time, and I think it was when I was 12 or 14 years old. And I used to babysit for my brother and sister, who were a little younger than me, and, but uh, so my parents would go out and they had this show on, and i wasn 't allowed to watch it if they were home and we only had one TV, but it was a show and it was syndicated and it was a Friday or Saturday night i can 't remember it was called uh, it was the Playboy show What was that called
1: Playboy after Dark
2: Playboy after Dark. Yes. Yeah, yeah and uh you know because playboy at the time you know my dad had playboys and my stepfather not so i knew <laughs> that there was a difference yeah, yeah and then uh hugh hefner and then one time this guy comes on and he's a comic and all the bunnies changed their 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 focus from hefner to this comic really and i thought that was the coolest thing i had oh, ever seen you got after, the chicks yes yeah. yes yeah, yeah, yeah. yes do you remember who it was it was a yeah, it was a guy named lenny bruce sure sure wow no kidding
1: yeah that's amazing yeah it
2: was yeah and i remember that moment i just remember going well but i used to watch any comic on the tonight show There was a guy, and I can't remember his name, that I really, really liked. That he was dark, and he pretended he was this little rich kid. And I can't remember his name. And he didn't last very long, but he was really cool. And I liked David Brenner. And I liked um, Alan, even Alan King, especially during Watergate. Alan King
1: was incredible. Uh, I remember seeing people like Ed Bluestone. Yeah, yeah. Right? They were like, I thought they were really funny. And they had careers that I think Ed I think he may have passed away. I'm not exactly sure, but he had a career that lasted at least 40 years if he's not still working. And it's just amazing. You'd watch these guys and just laugh and go, this this is incredible. But to you, this was igniting this idea that I could do this.
2: Well, it was also light years away. It was all New York and L.A. and yeah. I mean, M- Milwaukee did not have any kind of show business scene. As a matter of fact, I, t- I talk about this on stage, but Milwaukee, comedy was illegal in Milwaukee right. through a bizarre licensing law because in the 50s, when the city decided to make money on entertainment licenses, so they wrote all the codes, comics were MCs for strippers. So rather than you know get all convoluted, they just put them in the same category. So to this day, if you want to charge money for a stand-up comedy show, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the city of Milwaukee, you have to buy an exotic dancing license. To, to Still the, today? Today, yeah. Really? And in 1974, when I started doing stand-up, it was fifteen hundred bucks a year i don 't know what it is now, but wow. that was you know, and you fifty bucks a year you could get a Class B joint license and have Woody Herman and the Thundering herd with but all no fifty, comic. but not a comic, Wow, yeah, so we were always in the burbs of Milwaukee, <laughs> we were in Oak Creek or Wabatosa we couldn 't do the city. we actually got but I was there when. A showcase got busted on a Monday night. No kidding. We were charged a dollar, literally a dollar at the door. And the tavern squad—that's what they were called. The tavern squad came in, turned on the lights, busted the—you know—threatened the guy with his liquor license. Wow. So, so we
1: lost the. Were showcase. there strippers, or was just no, comics?
2: no, no? This was just—it was a place called instead of Saks Fifth Avenue. This was Zax with a <laughs> Z North Avenue. Okay. So it was Zach's North Avenue, but then before that. We had a showcase in Milwaukee at a place called the Rusty Nail, and that ran forever, and they didn't pay the license. It was right down from uh, Milwaukee School of Engineering, M- MSOE, and uh, they had a regular clientele. And, uh, you know, every Monday night, so Monday night football. So we, when we came in, we had to turn off the Monday night. Well, they were not happy. <laughs> we had to shut down the foosball table. I have done those shows. And so... Yes. They, it was their turf. They were the regulars. Ah, so they called it in. And, and they would, yeah. And they wow. would learn your punchlines and yell them out in front of you. Because they were there every week. So I learned to mix up the materials so they had no idea what was coming.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So you're watching these shows. or are emanating from L.A. and New York. How yeah. do you decide on San Francisco as your destination? Oh, that was
2: Easy. That was easy. A number of reasons. It was uh, serendipity, and all the wheels, all the uh, coming together. My grandma had a sister who lived in San Francisco. She would make yearly visits and wax ecstatic about the city. So mm-hmm. that started the long-distance love affair. And then, of course, you know all the movies. And then I had a girlfriend. Uh, you know her. I do. Nancy Garrett Nash. Yeah, yeah. She used to be Nancy Boldowitz in Milwaukee. Okay. And she came out here, and she moved here before I did, like six weeks before I did. So I told her I was coming. Ah. So I got to stay with her. Also, uh, I had survived the winter of 79 on New Year's Eve. 1979, I had three gigs. No, 1978, I had three gigs, man. I had a $35 gig, I had a $200 gig, and I had a $50 gig. And it snowed nine inches. But it was done by 3 p.m., and it was gorgeous. And every one of my gigs got canceled, so I oh, said, no. I'm out of oh. here. And also, I had a seated job, the Com- Comprehensive <sighs> Employment and Training Act, that had ended. So I was getting unemployment insurance because you could only work for them for 18 months. So I could get unemployment. So that 55 bucks a week came in handy when I moved out here.
1: Your snow story reminds me, that's how I basically started my career in booking comedy. Because I'd worked with the Foxes doing, I was the official timer and scorekeeper for the comedy competition starting in... 78. 78. And I got a job, I was working here at KSFO in San Francisco. Doing with, what? Uh, I was a producer and did, I produced talk shows and stuff. Oh, cool. But I wanted to get on the air, and they said you're 20 years old. We're not putting you on the air. A buddy of mine I'd gone to college and room with was the program director of a station in Paradise, California. Yeah, yeah. And he said, "Well, come on up. I'll put you on the air." So I went up there.
2: Between Chico and Oroville.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, miserable place. Oh, my God. Um, the most
2: ill-named city oh, in California. Unbelievable.
1: So I, were, I was working there, and um, I got snowed in one day at the station. It was 1,200 feet up, and nobody could get in to, to do anything to, for like 12 hours. There was no phones. No so powers. you were on the air for 12 hours? No, there was, not, there was no power. Oh, my God. And John Fox had called me and said, hey, Ann and I are expanding our business. Would you like to come work for us and help us book these shows? And I said, oh, I'm doing this radio gig. I love radio. I worked at KSFO for a few I, you know, I'm loving this. I'm on the air. But then I'm snowed in for 12 hours. The only thing that was working was the phones calling out. You couldn't, you couldn't call, call in. in. <laughs> no. Well, you could call in, but they wouldn't ring. <laughs> So I called John because he had just made this offer yeah, me yeah. a few days before. I said, "I'm going to take you up on that job," and so I moved back to San Francisco and started booking where we are right now. The yeah, punchline. Yeah, the punchline. In San Francisco, so our our uh, our paths dovetailed. That
2: is clever. Rather nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So you get to San Francisco, and the
2: first week I was here, because all of our showcases in Milwaukee had died. And, you know, they would they would run for, and so I I would go down to Chicago and work the comedy womb or the comedy raccoon, and, I, you know, they, as soon as they found out I was from Milwaukee, they put me on first or last. <laughs> that was it. That wow, that's a common thing. Yeah, yeah. So, I, and you can't get any better, you know, going on first or last. I mean, you're just, you're trying to survive. So that's why I had to get out. And at the time there were 3 cities where you could make money and they were Chicago, Boston and San Francisco. Yeah. And so not New York or LA cuz you know everybody oh, could do it clubs. for yeah, yeah, exposure. So I moved to San Francisco and the first week I was here first uh Sunday uh I came here and glenn merzer was the host okay and i had run into i had worked in milwaukee with a guy named paul seabar who's like Mm an olden timey he's a he's a historian of musician and he looks like he was hanging out with woody guthrie americana (laughs) kind of music (laughs) and stuff so uh, i told him that i was from milwaukee and i was a comic merzer on a sunday he said, "Well, uh, you know, I, I know somebody in Milwaukee because I went to New College in Florida. It was Paul Sebar, okay. and I just worked with him the previous weekend. Okay. We, he I did comedy. He he sang. So, Mercer gave me a semi prime, you know, spot. So the first night I killed in in San Francisco, and then uh, I went to the Holy City Zoo the next night, and that was." You've seen that story of course. on the and uh, in the, in the on documentary, yeah, yeah. yeah, about Pritchard and then Robin and I had to follow both of them and it was horrible and, but the first week I was here in San Francisco, I was on stage eight times. It was like comedy heaven. It was, oh, you oh,
1: know, yeah. the angels
2: were singing and yeah, and I got very lucky. I caught the one of the crests That's of a comedy yeah. wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and. It continued for quite a while. I mean, it. I mean, this town, It it's it sort of resurged now, but it, for a while, it was just like, if you want to work, do comedy, make money, and grow your act, go to San Francisco.
2: Yeah, but it was a velvet trap, yes. you know? Because I, at one time, we had, and bring in Bubbles, and he knows all the numbers, but I think he said, at one time, like, between 90 and 93, we had 14 full-time clubs within a 45-mile radius. And that doesn't include Sacramento, which had three yeah. at the time. So I would, in September, I would call up. I'd get three weeks at Cobbs. Uh, I mean, book the next year. i get three yeah. weeks at Cobbs. i get three weeks at This Punch, three weeks at the Walnut Creek, three, three weeks exact, in Sacramento. Yeah. And then I would call up a couple other. And I had half my year booked you know, in two days of making phone calls in September the previous year. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was ubiquitous. I was just working. But I didn't go to New York or L.A. as much as I should have, you know? Right, I mean, that's right. that's where they were giving that, out the you big know, money funny, and stuff. You know, funny
1: people I've talked to, including Bubbles, those you know, that's the regret is I should have gone to L.A. when I had the chance. Uh, which was another velvet trap, quite frankly. Actually, not even velvet trap. It was more of kind of a tinfoil trap. You'd go nothing paid, you'd do these showcase gigs for maybe twenty five bucks a night if you were lucky. And
2: then you had to go on the road in order to make money in order to live
1: in LA. That's right. And then you
2: weren't there for the auditions that that you were down in LA for.
1: That's right. They would do these showcase gigs and uh then there would be pilot season. But you're out of town because you gotta make money. You gotta make money. And so it really did become very difficult for comics to go how is this supposed to work again? And
2: that's why it was nice if you were a little trust fund baby. Yeah. You sure. know? Oh, yeah. yeah. And you had the money and you yeah, could but, stay and you didn't have to do the crappy one-nighters in Modesto.
1: Yeah, but can you name one trust fund baby that was a good comic? Yeah. A couple of them. Really? Yeah. I don't remember any of them. Janine? Garofalo? Oh, that's true. That's true, yeah. Okay. Greg Barrent? Okay. A couple of them, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I'll give you that. Uh but then there were the hobby comics that nobody liked. The people that had jobs and they would just kind of show up and do a gig and uh there was one guy what was his name he was a doctor. He was an ER doctor and he would get gigs in cities doing emergency room stuff to pay for his oh no travel. Kidding. Yeah. And then he he'd get booked for a week at a club. What was his name Don something or
2: you know who I hated the most were the people who thought anybody could do stand-up comedy. You know, Joey Buttafuoco did, yeah. uh, did a stand-up comedy tour. Kate O'Kalen did a stand-up comedy tour. You know, all these people. The uh, I hear that. That that soap opera star, Walt Willie or something like that, that he wasn't halfway bad.
1: Okay. You know,
2: but everybody thought, oh, I mean, they held, they held stand-up comedy in such low regard.
1: Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I'll do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, sure. anybody can do it. You know? It's like podcasting today.
2: <laughs> Anyone can have a podcast. Anybody.
1: <laughs> well,
2: it's true. I mean, uh, you know, I do podcasts all over. O- do a that
1: doesn't have a podcast? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> a comedian that does not have a podcast is just a guest on other people's <laughs> podcasts. and my rule of thumb is if you guest on nine podcasts you will have your own after that <laughs> just a compilation <laughs> that's right that's right i want to
2: because uh i'm doing this a uh, little political comedy show and i did one in 2012 the same thing yeah. like to laugh and i started it on super tuesday just like this time and it started about 75 minutes long and then by election night, it was two hours and five minutes long and lush and rich and thick like a tropical rainforest. And then the next day, it died. It evaporated because really? nobody wants to hear about politics. Not after the election. No, not after this. So that's why in 2013, I wrote the Baby Boomer Show. Right. But now I had to come back to election stuff because oh my you know because and I'll say this on stage but you know every election year the comics say you know they're all good but especially this time
1: but especially this time oh and I'm God. sure in
2: 2020 we'll say the same thing but yeah so I'm going to pivot next year uh, you know as they say I'm going to evolve and but I, so
1: what is I mean what kind of gift is someone like a Donald Trump to a political comedian you know People
2: say that all the time that he must be a gift from comedy heaven. But how do you <clears throat> how do you parody a parody? A you know, this point. is more like a farce. It's it's you can't get a hang... It's like trying to staple smoke. I mean, it's you're so surrounded by it that you can't really get an angle and, on it.
1: And from from your political analysis standpoint, how is it that he keeps sucking these people in and winning? It's it's the weirdest it's, phenomenon. It's an anger.
2: And it's the Republicans created this monster, because they're the ones who for decades, you know, since Nixon, been telling, or since Reagan, at least, you know, uh, the nine scariest words in the world, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help, you know, and, and so they've been saying that government sucks, government sucks, and finally, they convinced their constituents because they kept they kept going to their constituents and saying, these guys you know, are going to take away these, and we're going to help you. And then they don't help them at all. And so now they're pissed with any party. It's not right. just the – so they want – yeah, so that's what it, – it's all about anger. And yeah. it's well-deserved anger. Of course. Right?
1: Of course. Even, um, the, even the Democrats, you know. What, what do you think is going to happen in November? No
2: idea. I am the worst guy to ask. Yeah. I am – because uh, Bossier, you know, he always makes fun of me because I have the worst taste in movies, and all my political predictions are <laughs> totally, you know, off the charts. In 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 two thousand eight, I said Hillary was going to beat Barack, and then I said <laughs> McCain was going to beat Barack, and so really, don't trust me. Either. All right, yeah. all
1: right. What would you like to see happen?
2: You know, it doesn't matter, and I know that sounds disingenuous, but uh, we get to know so much about these people, Hillary. Um, I don't know if there's any meat left on the scandal bone. I mean, you know, we've already plumbed her depths yeah. pretty far. Trump, you know, it would like Romney would have been awful because it would have been just one note after another. You know, he's boring and he's rich, and and Trump, he promises to say something silly every three weeks, <laughs> but I don't know if the country. <laughs> but you know, it's it's a very. It's a very limber country. Uh, we we survived two terms of Reagan and two terms of Clinton, and you know three terms of Bush. I think I think we could survive uh, uh, Donald Trump.
1: Okay, because um, I
2: think he might win. It's getting, but as I as I said, just totally discount anything as
1: it's kind of scary.
2: You know, in the beginning, it was kind of cute. Yeah, you know. Oh, look at him! Yeah, oh, so he's this serious. is be Oh, yeah, we it's like a wait. talk show. It's like a reality show. And now Let's make fun like of his one hair.
1: Where? Yeah, yeah, I know. One what? <laughs> wow. Okay.
2: And his supporter I'm not encouraging him, dude. You said punch him in the face. Yeah. You know, that's kind of not <laughs> disencouraging him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, what's it like? I mean, because I mean. You're labeled often as a political comic, which you do have I'm shooting a of...
2: for satirist.
1: Well, I, I, someday I, I want to be a satirist. I like social commentator, quite frankly. Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: Johnny, I think Johnny Steele is more of a social that's commentator. True. That's true. I do political
1: comedy. Um, what's it like for you? Like you said, you know, the interest drops off right after the election. So w- what do you do during the fallow time when politics are the last thing people want to hear about? Well, I've always,
2: you know, just kept butting my head against the wall because uh, I'm that Midwestern plotter, you know, <laughs> and I don't like people. So I'm not real good uh, socialization or networking or marketing. I don't like people. I, I, really, I've been disappointed in my <laughs> entire life. So uh, so that's why I'm not good with managers or agents. I had an agent. I had a manager one time, and uh, he was he was, you know, he did good for other people. But he was like baby Huey. He would just uh, come in and, you know, knock stuff over. And he was just a good guy, a good heart. But every time he came into the club, I'd go, oh, shit. You know, and I always thought, that's not the response you should have when your manager walks into the room. So I I have to do everything on my own. And I've been uh, semi-fortunate because uh, I can do corporates. Because the businessmen have to do business with both sides, Democrats. Mm -hmm. So I... So they can see the humor, even though most of them are conservative, you know. But they can see, the, and I, I've done a lot of corporates, and that's where the money is, and that's kept me afloat, you know. Yeah, yeah. Up till now, but I, I'm too old for the clubs. Can't do the clubs. I'm, you
1: know. No, it's a ju- curse of everyone who's around our age. It's like, how do I get work? How do I maintain this? You know, if you're lucky, you'll get a, you know, a bone thrown to you because people know who you are in this town, particularly, but. I mean,
2: Because I was so ubiquitous in the '80s and '90s, Uh, that's why I started doing the little one-man show, the theatrical thing. So I, you know, you don't get poisoned when you're on stage, you know, by someone going up in front of you and doing, you know, a ton of human fluid jokes. You know, (laughs) I I think uh, our good friend Allison Hatcher uh, calls it uh, the the Oh, I, she's got a name for it. It's, it's fairly clever, but it's just people. And you know, you can't you can't take any leap of intellectual faith, you know, because it's walk comedy. It's right there in your yeah, face, yeah. and so that's why doing the one man show. Also, you know, I'm a one man band, man. I take my little uh, overhead projector with me, sure. and I set it up, and it's kind of cute, you know. And and then boom, I can. I, and so I did uh, a show off Broadway. In 07, at the end of the Bush, second Bush reign of error, and was called The All-American Support of Bipartisan Bashing. And then I did a show called The Lieutenant Governor from the State of Confusion. Then in 2012, Elect to Laugh. And then in 2013, I did Boomer Raging,
1: right.
2: which is still a viable concern because I'm always a boomer.
1: Yeah.
2: And my secret agenda, don't tell anybody, my, my theory is if I get the right audience, I can do the same show over and over <laughs> And will always seem fresh to them. So that's so that's. I might go back to that next year. I'm developing another show called Durst Case Scenario, which is about these modern times, and you know uh, about how we're. Uh, it's it's just talking about you know passwords and and technology and, sure. and you know religion a little bit of religion and. Uh, the, the past, you know, I mean, uh, the first guy to eat an oyster, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. So, so I think either the next but I want to, I want to interview you because I want to do a mystery set in a comedy club, oh, cool Oh a murder mystery. And I want to call it murder at the Holy city zoo because Debbie and I still own the name Holy oh, city zoo nice. and no one's going to sue me. And then once I get the first one down, then other clubs will say, Oh yeah, you can use my name.
1: Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. There is a a series of books, I think it's three books. and I met the author who's a he was a stand-up comic, may still be a stand-up comic, but really.
2: And he he wrote, wrote a series
1: of books set he, in a comedy club. He, well, he wrote three books about a comic who's an amateur detective. Oh, okay. And all the murders kind of he would like get booked on the road and somehow there'd be a murder, that would be connected somehow to the club he was touring cool him. yeah yeah are they any good dan something what was his name i'll have to look it up yeah they were actually pretty good like he at one point had optioned them as a tv series and it never went but uh they were really intriguing because he was a guy that traveled the roads right, right, right. running all these a road come, great yeah. mysteries right so i'd love to talk to you about that That'd be a great idea um yeah and i wrote
2: these i wrote these uh, uh little 30 second mysteries as kind of a I have this little oh, book. Oh, okay. So these are 30-second mysteries, and they're handwritten. Oh, that's, cool. That's my handwriting. Wow. And there's 54 of them. Oh, that's and cool. And it's cleverly called 54 Handwritten 30-Second Mysteries. <laughs> May
1: I have this? That one is for you. Well, thank you. I have to, yeah. Have oh, this to. is
0: great.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: What a great idea.
2: And I already have the second book written.
1: But <laughs> there's there's secrets and,
2: and you know, yeah. all sorts.
1: So, with the span of the time you've been doing comedy, it seems like there's, you know, I just, I recently did a show at the uh, Comedy Lab next door to the Improv in L.A. with Dana Carvey with his two boys. Oh, cool. Who are both doing stand-up now. How old are they? They're good. They're yeah. funny. Yeah? And they open for them. How old are they? They are in their early 20s. Oh, wow. Right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um. But from your perception and being in this town where comedy has had a various you know, various series of resurgences. Waves.
2: Waves. Yeah, we've had waves. I was the third wave. There were two waves before yeah, yeah. me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: So what's where are things at now in terms of what comedy it's different. is? It's different. yeah. Yeah. yeah it's always different. Yeah.
2: You know our generation was the screw you man we're anti authoritary we're going we're going screw the man, man, fight the man, and now we are the man you know? right, yeah, yeah, so it's always different now you know because of youtube and and uh blogging and and uh, social media, you know it's all different it's not better or worse, just different the kids yeah. are the kids get uh, figured it out, you know,
1: figured out how to do it, so yeah, it changes that you know, it evolves. Does it give you a perspective? Because I remember when I was booking this club, one week, this was early on when the Punchline, I think it was the first year it was open, uh, John Fox booked Ronnie Shell in here. And it was like Thanksgiving week, I think. And just very few people showed up. And he was on stage doing his thing, doing his stand-up, doing his act. Just And it was just kind of painful because he couldn't adjust his act to what the crowd had become in a comedy club. You could see him doing his act in a playboy club in the fifties and it hadn't changed at all. So when you see young people doing their act now in town, when you do your act in front of a younger audience, what's your perception of what they're seeing, what they're feeling? Uh, if you can put yourself there, I don't know. Yeah, well,
2: doing. yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And why is this bitter old man lecturing me? It's pretty much <laughs> what, what I'm hearing from the crowd. But, no, I think uh, I can get them to laugh. If, sure. if you get them there, I can get them to laugh. That's uh, The thing is, they won't necessarily come because my name is on the door. Mm. You know? the, but uh, And my audience is dying off. Well, what happened was my audience cocooned. And that's why the average age of a comedy club is 18 to 35. Sure. You know, because they want to see their generation reflected on stage. You know, I remember seeing Jack Marion. You know, Jack Marion was, what, 10 years older than us? Come on, man. You know, what are you talking about? You don't know nothing. Jack Marion, you know. And it was, and uh, so, yeah. So I think every, uh, but I I tried to... uh, I don't suck up to the kids, but I tried to be aware of them and their concerns. But I think it's just comedy, man. If you can make them laugh out loud on purpose against their will, yeah, you know, that's that's yeah. I don't, I don't think they're any different, you know. Uh, Ron Vi, you know Ron. Uh,
1: I don't know Ron. Though.
2: Ron is a comic who now works here. Okay, and uh, yeah, and uh, he said he went to see Don Rickles in Vegas, and it was kind of sad. Oof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be that. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be sad.
1: No, that's no. the thing. It's like, how do you keep evolving at the same time? You,
2: that's you, why I'll write, you know, a mystery set in a comedy book. Yeah, yeah. Harry oh, that's yours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: um, yeah because you, you do have to evolve. You have to change. Because um, it's like, oh, look at that sad man <laughs> trying to make <laughs> us laugh.
2: <laughs> well, I can't do Vegas. I can do Tahoe, but I can't do Vegas. I I do fine at the club in Vegas until the second show Friday night. Mm. The second show Friday night is full of twenty-three-year-old uh, kids who just drove in from Los wow. Angeles, and the whole world revolves around them. And they don't want to hear about politics. They don't want to hear about anything. You know, they just right. want to hear about uh, uh, pussy and fart jokes. You know, and that's all ah. they want to hear. So I can't do Vegas. You know, I can't. Crazy. If I only had to do one show a night, it'd be fine. But the second show kills me. That's crazy. Yeah, but you have, you know, as as Clint Eastwood said, a man must know his limitations. So, True. So, yeah, I mean, once you know that, you know, don't bemoan it. You know, yeah, work yeah, with
1: yeah. Um, so where do people find you now? If if Obviously, they, if they see you on a bill, they can come to a comedy club, but you're... Every you-
2: Tuesday, I'm doing this little show, Elect to Laugh, and it's 90 minutes, and it's me in an overhead projector, and I show pictures of all the... Uh, candidates that ran for president this year focusing of course on the headliners uh Hillary yes. and Donald and that's every Tuesday until the election at a place called the marsh mm-hmm. themarsh.org and a special to suckatash listeners yes. uh if they mention the code vote you get 10 dollars off there the you ticket go. so it's suckatashians take advantage of that suckatashians yes
1: Absolutely, yeah. And come then, to the of course, marsh. you've got the Indeed, at Wildurst on both Twitter and Facebook, Instagram.
2: Uh, yeah, but I don't do Instagram. I don't know how to do it. Will I you teach you on me one there? Yeah. No, I don't do Instagram.
1: No, no? okay. No. All right, I'll teach yeah. you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great. Yeah. And, of course, the burst of durst.
2: On Succotash. Absolutely. And there's almost a new episode every week. Almost. If I just <laughs>
1: could get out of my own damn way. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. Oh
2: I'm God. doing seven out of eight weeks. Yeah. That's that's my gift to that's myself.
1: Good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Will, thanks so much for finally gracing us with your full presence. Oh,
2: pshaw, at Mark Hershon The honor has been
1: mine. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hope so. Take care. Bye. Bye. Big thanks to Will Durst for taking the time to chat it up with me. You can find his home site at willdurst.com. He's on Twitter, at Will Durst. And he's supposed to come through with a reading for our podcast of that funny little self-published book we briefly mentioned during the interview called 54 Handwritten 30 Second miss It's really quite funny. I've been making my way through it. Uh, it's not hard. They're very short. <laughs> and, uh, but they're all these sort of hard-boiled detective style stories and uh, a lot of fun. So I asked Durs to read one of them uh, that I will play on the show. And then I will uh, figure out some way to give away copies of his book. Um, it's a tiny book, but it costs, a lot of money because it's self-published so every time he needs to print them they're like five bucks a piece or something so i told him i would foot the bill and make some available as free giveaways to you our fine listeners um and uh i just got to figure out some way to do that i don't if you have a suggestion how i can give them away let me know uh you can call the succotash hotline if you like 818-921-7212 you can also use um spare min the app spare min and uh, set up a time for us to talk live for five minutes up to five minutes and it will record that and we can play it back here on the show as well so that's the spare min app that people have been using to get a hold of me recently so try that or the Succotash hotline let me know how you think we should give away copies of Durst's book all right um speaking of Tweet Sack hello Tweety it is Tweet Sack time so it's your time Tweety to shine first up we had a call into the Succotash hotline give a listen to this hey you guys you guys should really check out Pickle Fanboy found that uh SoundCloud iTunes, well, shit, just about everywhere else you can find it. So check it out. I think he was saying we should check out Samboy or Fanboy or Sandboy. I'm i not sure. But thanks for calling in. You can call us anytime, 818-921-7212. Or like I said just a few moments ago, try that new Spare Min app. I think it's available both for uh, iOS and also for... Um, Android phone, so give it a shot. All right, got a new rating and review up on iTunes, which we always appreciate. Every time I know there's one up there, I am going to read it here, unless it's a one-star turkey of a review, in which case I will never let it darken my microphone. But this is a five-star rating and a review, which reads... What a time saver. I found out about this show because they used a clip from my show. I was flattered and intrigued with their show concept, so I gave it a listen. I'm glad I did. It's a huge time saver to hear the best stuff from the best comedy podcasts all in one hour. Thanks again for using my show and your show, Mike Winter of Wise Cracking with Winter. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks for posting that. Yeah, we played uh, his clip just last episode. Um So you can go back and catch that in episode 133 if you'd like. Our acapella singing chum Abner Surd tweeted out just today, Tall Tales and Shaggy Dogs episode 220 will include a shout-out to At Suckatash Show. Recording it now. Hashtag please pass the Suckatash. Well, thanks, Ab. I think I'm going to use that hashtag myself on our stuff. That's great. Please pass the succotash. Thanks, Abner Sird. We'll be featuring your latest tunage on the next podcast clips. So thanks for sending that uh, along earlier. Friend and past co-host of this show, uh, guest co-host... She was only here once, and that was via Skype. We've never actually met face-to-face. Monica Homburg, host of Dazed and Convicted, she tweeted a couple weeks ago they fin- that she finally put a new episode out. Uh, believe me, lady, I know the <laughs> I know the feeling. And said, as usual, it's mainly about Craigslist pervs. <laughs> of course it is, Monica. So check out Dazed and Convicted on iTunes, SoundCloud, etc., etc. Got a direct message from someone called Thomas Banks, That said, quote, thank you for joining me on this journey. I hope you'll read my novel, Indefensible, about swarms of autonomous weaponized micro-drones in the hands of embedded terrorists. A compelling, exciting, fast-paced and important story. A story that's unfortunately is more prophetic than fantasy. At $4.99, it's a bargain, smiley-faced emoticon, unquote. Right. That's from Thomas Banks, who was trying to pimp me to have him on the show as an interview, but he doesn't do a podcast. He's just got this book about swarms of auto- autonomous weaponized micro drones. And I'm sure we'd all like to hear about that. He He claims that he's a really entertaining interview, but it's just kind of not our thing. But Thomas, I wish you good luck with the book. All right. There's probably more, but I'm not seeing any as I scan the twit stream. If I missed your personal note or letter, forgive me. I, I'm just I've fallen so far behind getting these shows out, I just need to catch up. So I will try and keep a better eye on the tweet stream as it comes in. All right, let's get to our cavalcade of gratitude for everyone kind enough to mention Succotash in their tweets, retweets, direct messages, status updates, likes, hearts, thumbs up, and such. Ed Wallach I dropped by Ed Wallach's tent where he was camping near me recently on a run and gave him some coffee. I brought him a fresh, hot Starbucks coffee. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Real Ben Bailey, Fickle Fanboy RPM. I wonder if that could be the guy who left the message. Fickle Fanboy RPM. The CISO C Show, Dave Podcast. How Did This Get Made? Salty Language Podcast, Ariana LaFever. Upcycle That, Jeffrey Welchman. Illusionoid, Jody and Scott Show, Julia W.D. Harrison, Let's Chat Podcast, Chardown Tonang. What? Okay. Brie Poe, New Kenny, Ned Kenny, The Spent Podcast, The History Channeler, Spare Men, Ice in the Face, Kyle Andrews, Super PP Time, Definitely Dying, World Podcasts, That Old Hexter, uh, Ivory Kirk, 3 is Company, Corky Knievel, The Horror Club, The Lab Podcast, Barry Weintraub, Louise Polanker, Choo Choo Stew, Revolver, Wooden Overcoats, Broken Filter Live Podcast, HBT, Stephen Pearlstein, Mike Truesdale, Chris Lev, Peter Cobbs, Rawhide Boys Ranch, Hell's Bells, Podcast Dan, Convo Collage Podcast, Brian Jones, Kimberly Overstreet. The Hobcast, The Angry Ginger, Christine Blackburn, The Slant, Custom Logo Shop, Tiger and Sacco Jones, Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, Paco Romaine, Paul Hogue, Davian Dent, Strange Times, Julia Morena, Gormless Mook, Dwight Hurst, Bob Gilbert, Taco Tuesday Podcast, Adam Wolfe, Of the Taco Tuesday Podcast. Dave in the Cave. Of the Taco Tuesday Podcast. California Tacos. Not of the Taco Tuesday Podcast. Dash Kwiatkowski. I'll never get his name right. William Runyon Jr. Kellish Colton. uh, Three is Company. The Drunken Dork Podcast. George Grimwood. Scott Keck. KJ Wakefield. Minnie Pownall. Katie Sampica. Ramona Ratterman. Real Rats Podcast, Superhero Speak, Alexander Nathan, Pietro Blaxamoff, Hadron Gospel Hour, Talk Nerdy to Me, Adapter Media, Roger Rose, Sketch Comedy Podcast, Barry Sobel, Ex-Suit, Medium Talent, Opinionate This Pod, Bree Watson, Kirsten Chamber, and Carol.
2: Hey guys, Will Durst here to say that it only took a year and a half, but we finally distilled the presidential field down to two presumptive nominees from the major political parties, the Donald and the Hillary. And the hardest part is figuring out which is scarier, that one of these two is going to become the next president of the United States or the American people get to decide. You constantly hear that refrain, Oh, let's see what the American people want. No, let's not. You want to know what the American people want? I'll tell you what the American people want. The American people want to lose weight by eating potato chips. The American people want to pay no taxes and have better schools and roads. The American people want drive through nickel beer night. The American people require a warning label on their brake fluid to keep them from drinking it. The American people want to win the lottery without having to buy a ticket. The American people think any piece of clothing they can squeeze into fits. The American people would chew off their own foot if Oprah told them there was liquid gold in their ankle veins. The American people think louder is better and deafening is best. The American people think the laws of gravity can be repealed. The American people want to look like George Clooney by shopping at Walmart. The American people have the same sense that God gave a bucket of hair. Sixty-eight percent of the American people still believe professional wrestling is legitimate. The American people have the attention span of high-speed lint. They love the Home Shopping Network because it's commercial-free. God bless the American people and the rest of the world. For Sucotash, the comedy podcast podcast, I'm Will Durst.
1: Durst in, durst out. This has been the Mostly Durst episode of Suckatash Chats. I'll be back next time with a whole bunch of comedy podcast clips and another burst or two by Mr. Durst, who is always available at willdurst.com. Uh, you can find him there. You can also find him at Will Durst on Twitter. And I'm going to teach him how to use Instagram one of these days, and you'll be able to find him there. How about that? Until then, please take a few minutes or moments to rate and review us up on iTunes and visit our home site, SuccotashShow.com, where you can find the the blog to this episode. Um, You can buy some merch from our Succotashery. You can click our Donate button and give us some dough, or use the Amazon banner at the top of the page to do your Amazon shopping, and they'll shave off a little tiny piece and send it to me. All right. That's it. We're done. Pop those earbud buds out for half a second. Rest those pearly shell likes for a few minutes, and we will speak to you next time. And please remember to pass the succotash. Good bye
0: you've been listening to Suckatash the comedy podcast podcast with your host Mark Hershon. brought to you by Henderson's Pants and imagine your company's name right here find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com on iTunes on Stitcher Smart Radio and on SoundCloud you can also hear us streaming and like us on Facebook follow us on Twitter at Show. email us at M-A-R-C at Show.com. Or call into the Succotash hotline at our non-toll-free call number 818-921-7212. That number again is 818-921-7212. Suckatash is produced and engineered with the kind assistance of Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our associate producer is Tyson Sayner. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durgens. Until next time, I am your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the succotash. Goodbye.